In the midst of all this chaos, Spurs have actually managed to win a game, which I think is a real achievement. I wasn't able to watch it because I was coaching, but I know that we were 1-0 down and I've just seen the highlights. And uh, we look a lot better in the second half, which is really pleasing and promising. And Tawood without Kane is, is very, very good as well. Um, the mood and the way that I feel about the club over the last week has really, really gone. I've been, I've been through it, um, but I'm now in a place where I'm excited to watch them in the cup final. And it's fair to say that I wasn't when Ali and I recorded this. And this is only last week. Um, but there you go. I haven't uh, managed to catch up with Ali about her feelings on Jose going, but I think judging. By the way, she talks about him during this episode and from looking at her Twitter, um, she's fairly pleased. Um, Ali, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really good to chat to you and hear hear about how you got into coaching when it wasn't really part of your part of your plan. Um, and so excited to have you with us at Goldigers. The next few days are going to be a lot for Spurs fans and I'm excited for it. I really, really am. I uh, haven't managed to get all the way to writing a full Brian Mason song um, to the tune of Teenage Dirtbag, but rest assured, it will go something like, Listen to Ryan Mason, baby. Um, And my pledge is that if Spurs win the Carabao Cup, I will take the time to write that in full. Multiple verses, multiple choruses. So if you're not a Spurs fan, there's your incentive to support us this weekend. Thanks again for your time, Ali. Really, really appreciate it. And I'll catch up with you soon. What made you become a Spurs fan? Oh, gosh, it's such a stupid story. Um, Because I'm from South East London. So really, my team should be Palace, I'd say, probably. Palace or Millwall. I'm going to go Palace. (laughs) Sorry, Millwall fans. Um... But when I was, so I've got a twin brother and I've got three older sisters. And when I was eight years old, one of my older sisters fancied this boy who supported Spurs. And here I am, 30 years later, full of agony. And I think um, in fairness to that that sister, she was also in love with Gary Lineker. So I feel like that played a part in it as well. But yeah, since I was eight years old, Spurs have been my team for better or worse, usually worse. That's that's an unbelievable story. I was not ready for that. (laughs) It's just so random. Sorry, it's not more exciting than that, but that that is, you can't change, can't change the, the past. That's like the pinnacle of, of of football fandom stories for me. That I was, uh, yeah, I was not expecting that, but um, um, I I appreciate it. It's a very very good reason. Um, so that was when you were about eight. What what would you say is like your your earliest memory of football? So, I was thinking about this because because there's there's this photo of me that I love showing, and everyone's sick of this photo. And I'm probably about five or six years old, maybe a bit. I don't know. I'm little, and I'm in. Um, I think I'm actually in like a primary school dress, summer dress, <laughs> and I'm just kicking this ball about. But I don't remember that at all. So I can't claim that as my first memory. I just know it happened because there's a photo of it. I think um, my first actual memory of of being a football fan 
is um, Italia 90. And specifically going to bed in tears because my mum wouldn't let me watch the end of England Cameroon. So I went to bed when we were losing and I just assumed that we'd lose and we'd get knocked out. And then I woke up in the morning and the radio was on. <laughs> and it was just all about these amazing Gary Lineker penalties. <laughs> and I was like, yay! So that's my earliest memory as a fan. Um, playing, I did used to play literally every lunchtime at primary school, much to the annoyance of my friends, my girlfriends who didn't really have any interest in football. And they'd be like, come and play with us. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're just sitting in a circle. You're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, so playing is definitely primary school. And that was that's in the playgrounds, just like kickabouts, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, even, even just in the infants, because I remember when I was in the... Um, so I must have been like seven or something. And I slipped on a pebble. <laughs> on a pebble, not on the ball. Just want to get this straight. Just if there's any rumors, <laughs> I slipped on a pebble and I hit my head on the wall and actually cut my head open. Um, not really badly, but badly enough for it to bleed. Uh, Terry Butcher style, obviously, just played on. I I genuinely didn't realize I'd cut my head at all. None of the boys seemed to be interested that blood <laughs> was trickling down my face. I couldn't feel it. One of my female friends came over to me, probably to get me to come and sit in a circle, and, and was like, oh my God, your head. And then I went over to the the, the tea, like the dinner lady. Um, you know, there was always a dinner lady that had to have like playtime duty. And she was like, this isn't my job, okay. <laughs> uh, so I went over to the dinner lady. She was just like really angry with me. She was just like, oh, this is why girls shouldn't be allowed to play football. And I was just like, and then, yeah, and then I had to go. I actually did have to go to hospital and get, like, steri strips. You know, those, like, dissolvable, <laughs> like, butterflies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so those are my earliest, fondest memories of playing football. No, those are nice ones. And what, did you have school teams at the time? Did you play for your school? So I didn't play for my school um, quite painfully, actually. When I was... Uh, about to leave primary school pretty much I think I was in the the sort of final year of primary school um it was actually some of the boys that went and asked the teacher who was in charge of the school football team if I could play um and he was just like no she's a girl that was like there was no discussion it was just like, she's a girl, so therefore she can't play. Um, and, and the boys, in fairness to them, were like, yeah, but sir, she's good. Like, just mm -hmm. let her play. But it was just, it wasn't a thing. That would have been, I started secondary school in 1994. So that would have been like 93 or something like that. And it just, and the thing is, I know now, looking back, that actually there were lots of girls playing football at that time, but I didn't know any of them and I couldn't see any of them. So I just assumed it wasn't a thing. And I didn't, it wasn't visible to me on TV either because I've seen, you know, like obviously we're celebrating like 10 years of, um, you know, WSL and everything like that. And it's amazing. But I think now all these girls can see this, but I never, I never saw anything. All the football that I watched was men's football and it didn't bother me because I just thought that's what football was. 
Um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't play organized football until I was 30, which for any aspiring footballers out there, it's probably a bit late to start. I mean, <laughs> it's never too late to take up your passion, but if you <laughs> if you want to like play for England, it's probably a bit too late. How come you think it took so long? Um like it, I feel so stupid saying this now, but honestly, I just didn't realize it was a thing. So my first experience of there being the potential of an opportunity to play, I was literally told, you can't because you're a girl. I took that as gospel, like, okay, so it's not an option. At secondary school, I went to an all-girls school. I played hockey. I was like captain of the hockey team. I loved hockey. Um, we didn't have football. We did start an after-school club, um, which a few of us went to. And actually, there was a girl in the year below who played um, in the Millwall Lionesses Academy. Mm. So that was my first sort of understanding that actually it was a thing, but it didn't feel accessible to me. Like, I wouldn't have been able to get there transport-wise. My mum probably wouldn't have been able to afford it. Like, that seemed to be the only kind of way you could play football in an organized way and I didn't have access to it and then um like with our after school club we did go to a tournament once in New Cross and there were like no other females there at all and the organizers were like we can't let you play these boys for health and safety reasons and I was like probably for their health and safety (laughs) But um, yeah, we were literally turned away because there was no one for us to play. So I think I I was basically taught quite early on that it wasn't really an option for me. Um, and then when I went to uni, uh, it just felt really intimidating. It didn't feel, because I'd never played it in an organised way, um, it felt like it was about drinking as much alcohol as you could. And like, it just, it didn't, I didn't like the vibe. So I didn't go anywhere near it at uni. Um, And literally was just kicking the ball about in a park with some work colleagues in my like late (laughs) twenties and um, after work one summer. And these two Canadian women came over to me and were like, oh, my friends just set up a team in Clapham like you should come and try out. And I was a bit like, me? Hmm. Uh, and they were like, yeah, yeah, come and try out. So I went along and there were all these women playing football on Clapham Common. Hmm. I was like, mind blown. And like I said, it feels so silly now to know that it was there and I just wasn't aware of it. Like you talked about like your love of grassroots and like the, the how how much you're looking forward to get getting back into, you know, grassroots coaching. Um, there is something so unique about it where it's literally just a park for like six days a week. But then like Saturday is football day at Clapham. And if you're at Clapham Corner on Saturday, you're probably there for football. Yeah. And it just, it kind of, yeah, you're right. It's transformative, isn't it? It's just it all of, on the weekend, all of a sudden, it's just full of everyone playing football. Yeah. That's, um. it's so funny because like, I'm, grew up in North London basically all my football life was in North London until I don't know I guess until well even we played away so we went you know on a day trip somewhere with, with school team or with a different team whatever but um until uh university and then I was just nowhere near London and then playing playing elsewhere so the first time I ever 
found out that like Clapham Common was like a football hub um, was like the first day I went down to coach with Goldigers. The like football mecca, I guess, grassroots football mecca for me was always Hackney Marshes. You just would hear yeah. about Hackney Marshes. You'd see these pictures of Hackney Marshes. Like, wow, maybe one day I'll play at the Marshes. Um, but yeah, it turns out Clapham was that for South London. I just had no idea. Yeah, and let's like let's be honest, like Clapham Common is it's it's proper grassroots as well, in that like A, the quality of the pitches, if you can call them pitches, um, the facilities again, like if you can call them that. Like I, I know people who campaigned very hard for a long time to basically get a women's changing room because or and a women's toilet. Uh, which still to this day is abused by men. Like men will just wander in and take a piss. Like they just will. Mm. Um, and they don't see a problem with that at all. Like there's there's still lots of men who are like, this is our territory. And we've allowed you to like, we've rented it out to you mo- momentarily, but actually if we need to use it, you know, we reign supreme. Not all men are like that. I have to say there are <laughs> there are lots of men who play football on that common who are very respectful. Um, but for men and women, those changing rooms and those toilets are pretty grim. Pretty grim. Mm. At what point do you feel like you started thinking about women's football as like something maybe more than just like a hobby or like something to do because it was your passion? It's a good question. I think because I didn't I didn't set out to be a coach. Uh what happened was I, you know, I was kind of exposed to women's football, shall we say, when, when yeah, I was about, I think I'd just turned 30. And um, and then I started, so I was training one night a week and then playing on Sundays uh, for, for a team in Clapham. And then when, and so that's when I guess I I started to have, because listening to those women talk as well about all this university football they'd played and some of the levels that they'd played at, that I think for me, that was quite bittersweet because I realised that actually I could have done that and I could have pursued it, you know, at least a decade (laughs) sooner. so then what happened was we, uh, the amateur FA basically offered out two free places um, for women to every women's football team in that league um, for a, a, an FA level one coaching course. And and I was just like, yeah, I'll do, I'll give it a go. Like, you know, it's free, why not? And maybe it will help me, because this is the thing is that I'd never been coached up until that point. So my football education was literally watching it on TV, which I still think to this day is quite an important part of football education. And I think it's quite interesting. Uh, I, I predominantly coach females, but I have coached um, males a little bit. And you can immediately tell the difference in who watches football. And lots of girls don't watch football. So it's quite interesting. But so my football education up until that point had literally just been watching it and and watching men's football. Um, And I thought, well, actually, maybe if I go on a coaching course, it will help me understand the game a bit better so I can play it a bit better. Um, 
and I went on this course and this is the old FA level one so you know with all respect to the FA they've revised their courses now but that level one that I did was like it could have been any sport it was basically a safeguarding course which is obviously fundamental that's where it all starts that should be your starting point to make sure that your practice is safe um but it didn't I didn't feel like I learned anything football specific and so I think I was like okay actually I'd quite like to do level two because then hopefully I'll learn something football specific and then it kind of just skyrocketed from there really but it wasn't I didn't plan it Mm. what was your tutor like on the on the level one and how different was were they from whoever did your level two? My FA coach education experience in general has been very interesting. And um, so my level one was a female only course, which personally I don't actually like. I prefer diverse cohorts in all senses. Um, but I absolutely understand why some women would feel more comfortable in those courses and therefore I definitely think they should exist but they're not my preference but what was interesting was that the tutor was male (laughs) so I was like how female only is um because actually that does make a difference and it definitely made a difference to me because that tutor was basically like inappropriate with me so it kind of like I I kind of had to take the experience of okay this is coaching football but actually as a woman coaching football this is part of this world and I shouldn't have to put up with stuff like that but actually if I'm gonna coach in football chances are I am gonna have to 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 learn to navigate some of that in retrospect like the tutoring wasn't great but um I it didn't I guess it didn't deter me from wanting to pursue the level two. And then when I did the level two, um, I actually, on the first day, I wasn't the only woman in the room, but by the end of the course, I was the only woman in the room because the other woman that had started doing it dropped out somewhere along the way. I'm not sure why. Um, And so that was like 24 candidates or whatever and three two or three tutors and and I was one of those 24. It just makes such a difference having a good tutor doesn't it? I think not only with with football courses but any sort of learning if the whoever's responsible for the learning doesn't engage you then like it, it can just feel like a waste of time and if the content's not the best but at least the person delivering it has got something about them and is there to 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 get you and hook you, then you can take things away. If they're not up to it, and if, you know, even worse, if they're inappropriate viewers, there's only so much, I guess there's only so much value you're gonna put in them and in what they're saying. Yeah, and in fairness to the FA, uh, I, in, t- in terms of their course content, they have come a long way in terms of diversifying that. And I know that when I was studying for my B license, you know the the main folder like the ring binder that you were given had like Tony Duggan or someone on the front of it you know so like even and and that that might sound silly but actually all those things make a a big difference you know we say like if you can see yourself represented you're more likely to engage with something so so all of the course materials and you know the clips that they would show so they'd they would still predominantly show clips of men's football but they would show women's football as well 
so I think you know that's definitely progress is being made there for sure Mm. how did you go about building your values as a coach what was that process like I think that the first time I actually kind of actively thought about that was when I was doing my B license because you basically had to think about a philosophy um and what I realized was that actually I'd probably always been coaching in the same way as a person like you learn you learn how to be a better coach in terms of organization and planning and not using 1500 cones when you could just use 10 like you you learn all of that stuff on the job but in terms of who you are I think we are who we are right so for me I I'm quite an authentic person what you see is what you get um I don't tend to change too much in terms of environment I just try and give my best self uh, to whoever I'm coaching based on what it is they need um so I think I actively thought about it as part of my B license but I, I don't think it I don't think that necessarily shaped who I was. I think I already was behaving in that way and I felt like that felt right and it felt good. Have you felt that as a result of being in different environments, your philosophies or your principles have changed? I think I've probably learned that there are, there's like, you've got to pick your battles and there's a time and a place to address things. Mm-hmm. And so I I like to think I've got better at working that out. Um, But I am an honest person (laughs) and I, but I do it with good intentions. So I'm not highlighting something to cause a problem. I'm highlighting it because I think we can do better, whether that's as, whether that's a player can do better or a system can be better you know, or the way a club is run can be better. It's just, you know, it's just striving to, to be better. Um, but I think, like I said before, the fundamentals of my coaching approach are the same wherever I am. As I'm saying this, I'm thinking, same coach, different players. <laughs> but no, but like, I am like, I kind of, I am who I am. Um, and I think because I... I feel like because I feel like a lot of coaches get caught up in this whole like needing to wear this jacket with a certain club badge on it and your initials Mm. and all of that and the rest of it um but why should I give any more to the girls that I coach in in an academy for example or to women in their 50s who are playing walking football like Mm. why why does one deserve more of me uh than the other yeah it's a great question and I think you know, I'd argue that they've, they don't. I suppose with coaching academy football comes, and I haven't done it, so I'm, this is my observation from speaking to academy coaches and from being around like, players who used to play in academies. There is a level, I guess, of scrutiny and expectation on them consistently every single day that you don't get at grassroots that your 50 year olds at walking football probably aren't having to deal with I think that's true of coaches as well I think you're under a level of of sort of review uh in an academy environment that you potentially aren't 
you know, if you're coaching a Sunday league team. Um, but I think for me, this is where integrity comes into it. Mm-hmm. And so for me personally as a coach, yes, I might not necessarily plan all of my um, sessions for grassroots football using the software that I have to use in an academy. Uh, but it doesn't mean I don't plan a session. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is what I mean. It's about the, the time and effort that you put into something. And as a coach just yourself, you will know it's not it's not just about that hour or two on the grass with them. It's the planning that goes into it. It's the re- reflection and the reviewing of that session. Did we did we get out of it what we needed to? Did the players understand it? All of that. Um, I still go through all of those processes regardless of who I'm coaching. I can't just, I can't just, like I could, but it doesn't sit right with me. I can't just turn up and go and throw a few games out and go, "Mm, yeah, go on then, run there. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's where for me it's, I try and, I try and give my best as a coach regardless of who I'm coaching. Mm -hmm. It's such a, such an interesting time at the moment. Um, I'm sure for lots of coaches, but like for me personally, I've gone, so football's been, football's restarted and I've gone straight into an Easter camp with basically having like under sixes every day. And then the afternoons I'd have maybe an older age group, but predominantly like literally five and six year olds who all they, all they care about is like, do I get to kick the ball today? Is there a chance I'm going to score a goal? Can I have fun? Oh, by the way, um, here's my new kit and you know like something fun a little tidbit that they want to tell you um and to go from that into like gold diggers where everyone's grown-ups and like you can message someone before a game to be like oh I just wanted to check if you're all right having some minutes in defense do you know what I mean or like that Sunday Sunday just gone um there was a moment in the game where um wanted to try and get um, someone some minutes in a new position but in order to do that it was going to mean that someone else had to play somewhere else and I'd just been with like nursery kids in the morning I was like oh, how am I going to sort this and then I was just like oh the, they're in their 20s we'll just have a conversation and then it will be fine so we just had a conversation and it was fine um, and that's been so interesting to have those two things like simultaneously on the same day to go from essentially being a clown wearing football boots to oh these are real people adults with like working brains and ideas of their own that we can sort collectively yeah and I think I think that's it isn't it it's about I always say coach the player in front of you and um you know what is it they need in that moment what what is it that you are working towards because I think that's one of the things obviously with academy football is that you are working um against the syllabus and you're you're working towards specific you know objectives and they are probably by the nature of things quite different to if you're doing like an easter camp for six-year-olds mm-hmm. um but but that's why if you ask yourself what does this player need you can't go too far wrong what does a syllabus look like now versus maybe five years ago, how much change do you feel like there's been in what academy players are being taught? I'm not sure I can really answer that question because I've I've never worked in such a professional and elite 
I guess, in a positive sense of the word, environment as I do right now. And I only started doing that in September. Sure. So it's hard to, to, to compare that to anything um, because this is the first time I've properly worked to um, a syllabus. So I'm not sure I'm really, my experience doesn't really give me enough to answer that. But I think, you know, we always say like the game's always evolving. And I think what's really interesting about academy football is that on the business end of football, one of the main points of an academy, right, is to create your first team, isn't it? Like the ideal is that you coach those children and they turn into young adults and they end up playing for the first team. Um, and you hope that um, they end up playing first team football somewhere, even if they don't end up playing with you. And, and you sort of coach and develop them as people along the way. Um, I like to think that, that those sort of ideals in terms of just supporting someone as best you can for the time that they're with you, I, like, I hope to think that they, they remain the same. Um, I guess the changes come depending on what you're preparing someone for. Um, and that, that will come slightly further down the line. So I'm coaching foundation phase football. So this is their introduction to what it means to play for this club. Um, but when you're coaching in the latter phases, obviously you are trying to prepare them for first team football. And I think this is why I always find it interesting in clubs. This is why the whole, um, especially in men and boys football, this like revolving door of managers, because then you compromise the DNA of your club, right? What's your identity? Because if that identity changes every time you get a different manager, what are you preparing those kids for? Because that manager's going to want something different from them. So I always think that that change in the first team approach must be really interesting for the people coaching in the academies uh, because they're like, oh, hang on a minute, I was working towards that. So... So I think I think linked to that, there's lots of like lessons that women's football can learn from men's football. And for me, that's one of them. Like, actually, do, do, do we as a club just want an approach and we will employ people who understand that and are on board with it? And yes, they're going to have creativity and space to um, kind of deliver it in the way they want to. But the fundamentals will will be the same. Mm, it's such an interesting point. When I had Josh on, um, he he made the point. He feels like the only club in the world that can afford to consistently have the playing style and pick players and coaches and managers who fit that is Barcelona because they have like mm. the most distinctive style of anywhere, and like the academy setup is so well known um, that they can do that. But I mean, this is his 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 point. It's like nowhere else can afford to do that. Everyone else has to constantly be doing what you're what you're saying, which is like evolving and thinking about what's next, um, and making sure that those players are ready for first team football wherever it may be. Mm, yeah, for sure. Have you got a favourite age group that you've coached? It's probably I was thinking about this, and it, it's probably teenage girls. Mm. Which is, and, and I think part of that is because they're the most challenging. 
because there's so there's so much going on like in their lives in their bodies in their minds like mm. it's, it's all going on and actually also that's the point at which girls tend to drop out of sport mm-hmm. and so I think it's always been it's always a good challenge to try and keep them engaged and keep them motivated and, and coming back and and I get a real sense of achievement whenever I have done that managed to do that um so at the moment I I coach um I'm doing under 12 so it's like pre pre-teen uh, which also again is socially that's a really interesting age group because they're kind of you watch them across the season uh go from maybe being um not necessarily like timid but just kind of trying to work themselves out do you know what I mean kind of work out who they are um to then like properly developing into you know I guess really really like well just adolescents rather than child like young children um so yeah it's probably teenage girls but I've co- I've I've been fortunate enough to coach pretty much every age from five-year-olds to I think I think she was about 57 there was this woman this woman came up when I was because I used to coach for Spurs Foundation and that's that was one of my favorite coaching roles because you just coach anyone and everyone out in the community and I coached this um these women who were playing walking football and this woman just came up to me at the end of the session one time and just said she was like, oh, you know, thank you so much. She said, I've, I've waited 57 years for this. Like, she felt she'd waited her, her whole life to have a space that she was basically allowed to pursue football in um, because, obviously, she'd grown up in a generation where she, had, you know, it wasn't an option for her and there wasn't anyone for her to play with. So, um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to coach a lot of different age groups but yeah teenage girls it's so funny so josh said that uh some of the some of the things that come up with so he does under 15s and some of the things that these under 15s boys are are thinking about when they're playing football are just so far removed from what what you would well what you as the coach would spring to mind as things that might prevent them from performing right and one of the things he he said was that you find that there are really like confident, chatty players away from the pitch. But when they're on the pitch, there's some players who will go really quiet and you think about why that might be, but they're just embarrassed that their voice is going to break when they shout. Oh, wow. And yeah. Like, and you think like, yeah, like, and I think back to when I was that age, I was like, that was so embarrassing when I would just talk and my voice would go, oh, and it still happens now. And now you're sort of over it. But at the time, like, that is mortifying. And to think that that could happen yeah. in front of like your peers and friends is like, yeah, that might, that might be a factor. Yeah. And so sim- like similarly um, with girls, like because of their period. So obviously it's, it's being re- really well documented now and really um, and much better researched about the, the sort of physical impact that that can have. Um, on athletes but also like psychologically especially for for young girls like white shorts no (laughs) because you know they're all like oh it's my period what if this happens what if that happens so um yeah and and this is why we always say right like person first 
all these players are people, they're not robots. Um, and they all come with their own little uh, insecurities and kind of quirks and stuff. And and the better that you can get to know all of that, the, the better you can coach them. Mm. When you were at the Spurs Foundation, what was like maybe the funniest random environment that you found yourself in or the one, one of the things that you can think back to and be like, that session that had an impact on you beyond beyond it finishing? There's probably two. Um, one of them was we did this like sort of little like half day on refereeing because okay. um, we had we, we found ourselves like refereeing at tournaments quite a lot because we would put, Spurs Foundation would put the tournaments on and then a lot of the time we would get qualified referees in to referee them but sometimes as a coach, you know, you find yourself having to ref. And so we did this session with like just some of the Spurs Foundation coaches. And so we basically like learn about refereeing, like in the classroom, like watching videos and stuff and taking a little quiz. Um, and then we went out onto this Astro and like basically had a kickabout. We had to take it in turns to referee it. It's just brutal. Like, honestly, I've got so much respect for referees. Like, it's just... It's just hard. It's such a hard job. And it's only until you try and do it that you appreciate, A, how quick the game moves, and B, that, like, you can't have eyes everywhere and you need eyes everywhere. Um, and the abuse. The abuse is real. Like, <laughs> like, we were just doing it. Like, we would work together. We were just, like, having a kick about. But if you blew your whistle and we're like, they were like, what? <laughs> And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, so that would be one of them. The other one, um, I coached at uh, a tournament once. Actually, so this wasn't Spurs Foundation. This was when I was um, coaching in the girls' uh, setup. Um, but we, Spurs women were playing Man City. And in in, I think it was in a cup game. And it was when, I feel like it was when they used to play... I'm pretty sure it was when they used to play at Chesant. So Spurs right. women used to play at Chesant as their home ground. And I think they were still there. Yeah, because it wasn't at the Hive. Um, and basically, Karen Hills, who was manager at the time, wanted to put on like a little um, girls sort of skills session and, and just a pre-match like thing to, to, to give a kind of festival atmosphere. And then everyone will go and watch this game. Um, so, so she's, you know, she kind of got, got me in to help organize it, um, and put on this event. And one of the things that they had was a skill zone with Ledley King. <laughs> and I put this photo on Twitter recently, but, um, and basically like, we just did it. I did it with Shannon Maloney, who also used to play for Spurs. Um, and basically like, it was just quite a basic sort of skills obstacle course type yeah, I saw thing. The photo. yeah and you were timed and then whoever got the best time won a prize or whatever but because Ledley was there as an ambassador um we were and it was like a brilliant photo op as well so we were like right so come on Ledley show us how it's done and like bless him because I remember the trainers that he was in because obviously <laughs> when you work for a club they kick you out in the like you know everything is a uniform isn't it so they kit you out, including your footwear. And I remember those trainers he had, and they were so, like, these trainers were so loose. You couldn't do anything. Like, your feet would just slide around in them. 
And so I remember thinking, he's going to, like, this isn't going to end well. But luckily, he did manage to stay on his feet. But at one point, he really nearly went over. Oh and I was just, it was just me laughing at him. <laughs> he was well past retirement then, but it, it, it was just funny. It was just like, oh, gosh, we've, we've got this hero, this, like, Spurs legend. And we've nearly made him fall over. Um, but, yeah, so that was enjoyable. He just seems like he is the ultimate ambassador, the ultimate, like, this is my yeah. club. This is, like, like... One and only club. Yeah, tragic, like, injuries, like, breaking into the England team. I remember he played holding midfield at Old Trafford in a, in a friendly and, like, did really well. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's, he, he can't play football anymore. Was he... And is he everything I want him to be? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> He's lovely. So his, um, it's the short answer, yeah. Um, <laughs> and he... Um, he's, he's lovely. I'd never met him before that day. And I'd done this, like, kind of skill session with him. Obviously, then he afterwards he was going around. He was talking to the, the girls and stuff. Um, and I was, like you know potentially slightly unprofessionally but I'm a Spurs fan I was like desperate to get a photo with him um and basically his wife was you know pretty much going into labor she was like due any oh minute God. <laughs> and um and and yeah she was kind of due any minute and so he was constantly like one eye just checking um to see if he needed to leave and I was just desperate to get this photo with him. And he walked like, bless him, he was just standing there, like, still doing photos and signatures with all the... Because obviously then there were lots of people there that had come to watch the game who were like, it's Ledley King. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he did He did all his PR and his meet and greet and everything. And then I managed to get one, like, literally just before he left. But he wasn't like, oh, God, come on then. He was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Even though, like, my wife's about to give birth. <laughs> no problem, Mally, let's have this conversation. So, yeah, no, he's lovely. That's literally, like, of all the excuses, you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, sorry, sorry. And he was like, no, it's fine. And he was like, she'll be okay. And then, and then he did go quite soon after that, bless him. Have you, um, have you been to see Spurs Women at the Hive? Yes, I have. Uh, not recently, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been a few times. I think what was always difficult for me was um, I'd often be coaching on Sundays. Yeah. And so I'd miss a lot of, you know, elite-level women's football because it happens on Sundays. Um, so, but I did, on the on the times that I managed to go... Like it was, it was really nice, and also because I was still coaching there at that point as well. Again, it, it just helps you feel part of something. Like you can see the end product that you're trying to help produce. Did you have moments when you were coaching at Spurs where you were just like, "I'm a Spurs fan. I'm coaching for Spurs. Like, is this real?" I mean, wearing the kit always a joy so because people joke with me now about obviously like wearing the Chelsea kit and I'm like no but that's a uniform <laughs> um but so when I was coaching at Spurs I'd, I'd, I'd like go out 
do a session in the morning, like, so, like, say I'd go and coach at a game in the morning or something, and then I'd just sit around in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's so nice. Um, so I've still got it all now. Yeah. Um, I've, given, I've given a few bits and pieces away um, to some some good friends, um, but most of it I've still got because I'm just like, this is amazing. Well, I mean, it doesn't feel amazing at the moment, but it's still it's still great to have all of this kit. Um, but yeah, I think I think it it was it was lovely to I didn't. When I was little, I would never have imagined that. I would never have thought I'd end up coaching for anyone, let alone Spurs. And when I started out on my, yeah, go on then, I'll give it a go, it's a free course, level one, that wasn't in my thought process at all. So mm. it was lovely. It was lovely to do it. Yeah. Um, where, where are you at emotionally, mentally, spiritually with Spurs at the moment? broken yeah broken like I just can't like <laughs> I just can't I mean I think um again I tweeted this the other day yesterday maybe but I think the the hardest part for me like I know because everyone's like oh, it wasn't always great under potch you know <laughs> yeah I know I was there like I get that, but there was something about his approach and the way he just transformed, because he didn't just transform us on the pitch, he transformed everything. He transformed the way the club was internally in terms of the way people spoke to each other, that people actually said hello to each other, that people shook each other's hands. He's a very like tactile person. And, like, he insists on, like, shaking hands and making human contact, like, actually making physical contact. And he changed, He came in and he changed all of that. And people would actually, like, kind of talk to each other and say hello and, and know each other's names and, you know, the, the, the wider stuff. And um, he, he changed the atmosphere in such a lovely, positive way that wasn't a mistake. It, that didn't just happen. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And um, and then look what he did. Like he had no right to get us to a Champions League final. No. Absolutely no right. And if he'd have been backed, I honestly believe if he'd have been backed mm. to to do the the painful rebuild, I think he'd have done a great job. Um, and it's easy to say that because he never got the chance. So it's easy to like think romantically that, yes, it would have all worked out perfectly. But I just think, I think he deserved a shot at it and he didn't get it. And, I, you know, so yes, it, it was felt that a change was needed. But sh what's the point in change if it doesn't improve anything? Mm -hmm. There's no point changing something if you're not going to make it better. And arguably, this is, I feel like this, whatever the lowest point was under pot, surely this is worse. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that point. I think also when when it comes to, you know, feels like the end of like a, a life cycle or an iteration of of the club. And I, I do, I do think it felt like that, like Champions League final, like the, well, <laughs> up until about 40 seconds in or whatever it was, it felt like this is, this is it. 
like this is this is amazing this is it um and then you you know you hear like oh it's 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 cheaper to replace one player than get rid of a load of players and and uh, not if we not if we sack Mourinho and have to pay out his contract it's not <laughs> unless unless Amazon are paying his wages which I'm not ruling out by the way like yeah. this is an expensive an expensive waste of time because we haven't got better since he's come in and I said this to Flora the other day the only sh- like glimmer of light I feel like at the end of this season is that there's a chance that Harry Kane's going to finish top scorer and top assists which is a ludicrous achievement in a team that's not very good right this guy he's amazing and I like the thing is he does get a lot of respect and everyone knows he's amazing but I still feel like he would get more respect if he didn't play for Spurs (laughs) like I still don't think he gets I still think there are some people who refuse to kind of appreciate just how good he is. And like you say, he's proven that this season because I'm sorry, but those stats in that team, that's something else. Mm. And yeah, I feel like the appointment of Jose was a vanity project by Levy. I feel like it was his ego. He wanted to prove that he could get him. I feel like he didn't quite appreciate that there was a reason he was available. That's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> and I think it's backfired. And I think, yeah, at what point do you go, okay, you know what? As shrewd as I am as a businessman, mm. I got this one wrong. Mm. And let's, let's make it right. But the, I, think the, I think this is what is a bit depressing now, is that this painful rebuild is even more painful now. And it still needs to be done. So everything that Potch talked about and wanted to do and was willing to do still needs to be done. But I feel like we're starting from even further back. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I want to to happen really. I don't know, like if I want Mourinho out. I don't know if I who I'd want to be the next manager. But what I am ready for is for us to lose the Carabao Cup final and for everyone to stop right. saying, "Well, they're in a final. They might win a trophy." That's not happening. I feel like, realistically, my hopes for that final are that we don't get humiliated. Yeah. In my mind, there's no, there's no, oh, well, we might win it. Yeah. And that's the difference. So so I feel like that's what Potch did. Mm. I feel like Potch embodied to dare is to do. (laughs) And went, yeah, anything's possible. In football, all is possible. Believe it, and we'll see what happens. And I feel like all of that's gone, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, please don't just be. Please just don't beat us six 0 Did Poch have it tattooed? Did there was to do? <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd love it if that was true, but I don't actually know. But you are you are available to take over, right? Um, we, we joked about that at the start, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll obviously have to have a few conversations. Sure, sure. <laughs> you're, uh, juggling, sure. You're, ju- you're juggling a gold diggers role on a Wednesday every once a month. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of logistics. Exactly. Um, are you excited about gold diggers? Yes, I'm very, I'm like legit. I'm very excited. I, um, like you said before, I'm, you know, I am passionate about grassroots football because that's where it all starts, right? You know, we don't even 
even the you know the 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 men playing in the Premier League or the women playing in WSL, they didn't they didn't start there. Even the players that start really young in academies, they don't start there. Um, and so and also I just I think for me it's personal as well because I would have given anything for setups like that when I was younger. Um, and because being able to see it just makes such a difference. So when I came down the other night to kind of like check out the setup, like honestly, I was you probably saw me, I was standing there like mouth open, like, oh my goodness. I've never seen so many women playing football on a pitch, like at that in that time slot as well. Like that's unheard of. So yes, very, very excited. Good. Excited to have you. Um, final final thing I had to ask about was um, like when we met and you said, oh, everyone's calling me Coach Ali. Coach Ali is my first name, Coach. What, did you consciously decide, like, I'm going to be active on Twitter? Or did, is it just like you see stuff and then you, you tweet it? Yeah, so no. And, and like sometimes I sort of annoy myself <laughs> and I'm like, oh, just, like, can you just give it a rest for one day? <laughs> Come on, Ali, just because it because I'm like, because I think some people feel like it's a brand and I'm like, oh, no, I never want to be that person. <laughs> like. I'm not that person. Coach Ali, I think, was I don't even know why. Oh, I know why I call myself Coach Ali on social media. It's because I had private accounts that were about the other thinkings in my mind that weren't necessarily to do with football. And I guess I just wanted to separate it out for myself, first and foremost. Um, and then also um, also to have, a quite, I think, quite important to have that gap. I think it's important to have a space between, um, like, what you put out there as a coach and actually just you have your own life as well. So, like, you know, I have an Instagram account that doesn't really have any football. Like, it's probably got the photo of me and Potch on it because, you know. <laughs> Some things uh, just go hand in hand, yeah. <laughs> Some things you just can't separate out. Um, but otherwise, like, mostly my other Instagram account is just photos of trees, which no one <laughs> finds interesting. Um, but I think it's always important for, to have a space, like, for you. Do you know what I mean? And and I think some because Coach Ali then started to become this thing that, again, I never knew that that would happen. Um, I was just a bit like, okay, that can sit there. But it's interesting because sometimes then I do, like I said to you, I am genuinely authentic person. And I think I often tweet from the heart. And then there are times where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say that like on this account. There's, there's a lot of tweeting and deleting that goes on. There's, a, there's certainly a lot of drafting and deleting that goes on. Um, but I'm sure that's true for everyone. But yeah, I, I didn't, it wasn't a conscious thing. I didn't set out to do it. Um, and I do feel a bit awkward about it. Like <laughs> when people are like, are you Coach Ali? And I'm like, um, my name's Ali, hi. <laughs> Ali, I'll see you three weeks, two weeks time at, at Goldigers. It's, yeah, whenever, whenever the end of the month is. Yeah, whenever your, whenever your Wednesday is. Uh, that was great. Pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, thank you.